A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Lord's Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, welcome to the latest Lords podcast, and this month we have a county cricket special. With England having safely retained the Ashes, it's time we focus on a club who are looking to win their first county championship title in 20 years. I'm, of course, talking about Middlesex. Uh, we catch up with former players Mike Gatting and Clive Radley, who both played in championship winning sides, and have a word with fast bowler Tim Murta. We also meet a lady who had a run-in with one of Paul Sterling's balls. And as well as all this, we look forward to the county cricket closer as Lords prepares for the Yorkshire Bank 40 overs final later this month. Well, on a gorgeous sunny day here at Lords, we're perched up in the JP Morgan Media Centre. And it's a great pleasure to welcome my co-host, a man who is better placed than any to talk about county cricket and Middlesex in particular. It's a BBC London commentator, Kevin Hand. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Um, yeah, good season of county cricket. I think really, um, uh, you know, really exciting cricket in both divisions this year. It's um, been a lot of fun to work on, and especially with the expanded coverage from the BBC now to uh, ball by ball coverage of all eighteen counties in all competitions. Uh, it has made a, a great deal of fun travelling around the country and interacting with all the different commentators. I was going to ask you a little bit about that in a moment, uh, so we'll just come back to that. But you've been in the job about around about eight years now, covering Middlesex. Uh, yeah. How's that been? Um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fortunately, they're on a high at the moment, but they've had their lows as well. Uh, Angus Fraser taking over in uh, late 2008, the season was over by then, Middlesex were um, away in Antigua for the uh, Stanford Super Series, the one-off as it turned out. Um, but yeah, early 2009, then taking control and a rebuilding job for him. Um, Middlesex relegated in 2006, my first season as full commentator for Middlesex, uh, having done a little bit of it in 2005. Um, and then, yeah, a few uh, barren years in Division 2 as Middlesex rebuilt after a, a difficult time for the county, really. A very strong side picked apart in 2006 for, for varying reasons. Um, some, some top names in there, Joyce, Shah. Uh, ben Hutton, Nick Compton, Ed Smith, uh, Scott Styrus was overseas for a little while. Paul, Paul Weeks was still going then. Um, and in the bowling lineups, uh, lineup, the likes of um, Chris Silverwood and Alan Richardson, uh, who've both had great county careers, and Richardson still having a wonderful time of it. Um, but for uh, yeah, for for a long while, it was uh, it was pretty tough in Middlesex, dropping down to Division Two, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Not much. Uh, for them to shout about in that division and, and then with a team of youngsters really uh, Angus Fraser rebuilt them in 2009 2010 and now back in Division 1 a successful 2012 finished third in 2013 for the most part they've been there and thereabouts they were the early season favourites in fact after a strong start and Warwickshire even before the season had started tipped them to be challengers but I think a few injury problems yeah. uh, have held Middlesex up in particular with the bowlers Harris and Roland Jones um, and perhaps that was where a lot of people looked at Middlesex and thought it would be their strength this year. But a disjointed season hasn't helped either of them or, or helped the county as a whole, I think, as they uh, head towards the final straight. Now, there is still a chance, but it will have to be a very good run if they're to topple a, a, 
um, a strong Yorkshire squad. Absolutely, and break that 20-year duck, as it were, since uh, 1993. We'll, we'll come on to that later in the podcast. I'd just like to talk to you a bit more generally now about sort of county cricket. We're sitting here at Lord's. Um, you must love coming here, I presume, as, as the commentator. Best place to come, isn't it? There's nowhere better, really, to sit here and look across at that famous old red brick pavilion uh, opposite. It's a wonderful sight to uh, pitch up, uh, uh, to cover the county championship, uh, and also for the day-nighters. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we had the first uh, day-night match here at Lords, um, and to see that pavilion, um, well, it's, you know, the, the ground illuminated under the floodlights, first of all, once darkness had set in for the day-nighter. Um, but then also once the floodlights had turned off and the lights beaming back, I guess it was a familiar sight for those that had stayed here late over the years. But um, to see the lights uh, beaming back from the long room and from the uh, dressing rooms as well, uh, it, you know, it really does light up very well, um, the pavilion. So, yeah, it's a, a great place to, to come and watch cricket and a fantastic place to work, of course, as well for us. Um, we're spoiled, spoiled, I think, across the county circuit, uh, the facilities, um, the view and uh, yeah the comfort of working here and very well looked after as well and in 2013 as a county commentator where do you see the game because it, it's had its ups and downs and we now know every the BBC put it online all the time now mm. which is fantastic so I mean is, is that a kind of new audience opening up with that is that sort of saving county yeah, cricket maybe well I, I don't know about saving it perhaps reflecting that um, county cricket is in a good place uh, 2005 um the Ashes win really gave cricket an injection in this country and it gave everybody, including editors, I think, around the country a reminder, hold on a minute, there's a fair bit of interest. You know, it is, you know, it's fair to say the country's second sport behind football now. Um, but um, not that far second, I don't think. Um, yeah, I think county cricket probably did have a few uh, quiet years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, noses were turned up a little bit towards that, that form of the game but as I said at the start the, I think this season has been fantastic two divisions uh, there's lots to play for in division one promotion um, title and relegation of course promotion for division two as well um, so I, I think it's fair to say that county cricket as a whole ha- hasn't been strong for a long while the championship certainly you know division one is a very strong division probably to the detriment of division two uh, but I guess there's an onus on the Division 2 counties like Middlesex a few years ago to rebuild um, and try and set themselves up as Angus Fraser has done for the long term. Um, and although there were, there were no quick fixes for Angus Fraser, Middlesex are bearing the fruits of that now as they are um, for the first time in a long while um, challenges at the top. Uh, so, yeah, I think to the detriment of Division 2, Division 1 is very strong. The players are migrating. Um, as they feel that that's the way to, to play their best cricket and to nudge selectors. Um, but I think, again, if the Division 2 sides try and turn that on its head and look at it as a positive, as a way, well, OK, it gives us a little bit of time um, to, uh, to try and put these plans in place to, to, to return to former glories themselves. Um, but beyond the county championship, of course, you see the 2020, there was um, the record domestic audience and uh, attendance in this country. Uh, 28,000 for the Middlesex-Surrey match in the 2020 here. <laughs> the game didn't quite reflect um, reflect the crowd, sadly, or the, the, the London derby. Um, as Surrey had an emphatic win. Middlesex bowled out, I think it was 14 overs in the run chase. Um, but 28,000 packed in here, I guess, uh, say a record domestic crowd, I guess it's second only a, crowd, a cricket crowd in this country to an Ashes test here at Lords uh, in terms of the attendance. So, uh, yeah, that 
continues to go strength from strength. And the 40 over has been really entertaining the last couple of years and a good number of us are lamenting the loss really of 40 over cricket and the return to 50 over cricket. Um, but I think the, the thing that the ECB and the counties have got to settle on now uh, is to find a format for the uh, next few years that they stick with. Um, the 2020s can be played across the summer. Uh, we're hearing bits about it now, how that how that will shape up, how it will work for the counties, how it will work for the attendances. I guess time will tell. Um, but certainly for the List A competition, I think everybody, players, uh, media, and but certainly... Uh, and most crucially, I think the crowd uh, wants something settled that they can recognise as an event year upon year that, that their side can look to try and win. Whereas at the start of each season, I think everybody wonders with the list they quite what's happening this season with it. Well, the YB40 final is, of course, here in well, later this month. Mm-hmm. We'll come on to that in a moment. Uh, I'd like to concentrate on Middlesex a little bit. Um, one person that will be keeping a close eye on the climax to the season is their current president, Clive Radley. Um, having won a total of five county championships with the club during the 70s and the 80s, uh, Radley wants his county naturally to get back to winning ways. Um, I caught up with him in the pavilion at Fenner's Cricket Ground in Cambridge uh, one rainy afternoon last month. I started off by asking him how he thought Angus Fraser was doing as the director of cricket. Well, he's done an excellent job. He, he, he's, he's got a good worth work ethic out of everybody there's a good ethos within the whole club and he's, what he has done apart from signing some pretty good players he's, he gets everybody to, to, to play for Middlesex and be Middlesex through and through yeah. even though obviously these days you're not going to get everybody born and brought up in, in the county that they play for but they're, they're all wanting to be good club men and it's all part of the all part of his uh, ethos which is is good I think and uh, at the same time uh, as far as I can see it, and as president, I haven't got quite as close. It's difficult when you take over as president, really. You don't want to go pushing in the dressing room, taking <laughs> over. Uh, and then if you sit back too much, they think, oh, he's not taking any interest. But but I've, I've, I've talked to a few of them, and there seems to be a very good spirit about the team and the dressing room. And, and um, there certainly will be a, a better one if, if we got in the, if we won the championship or, or came close, because there's nothing better than having a successful side. Clive Radley there uh, discussing Middlesex and pushing for the county championship, as well as Gus Fraser. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask Kev a little bit about that team ethic that he says that Fraser's built. We no longer live in an era where you have born and bred in the county, mm. but. He did say he's trying to create a team which is Middlesex through and through, and he does seem to be doing that. Yeah, I think probably the best example of Middlesex through and through is Stephen Finn, um, who um, you know made his debut at a young age, 16 or so, and um, Middlesex fans have been able to watch him develop uh, towards his test debut a couple of years back now, uh, now a regular in the test side, you know, fight, forced to fight for his place a little bit more. He'll surely go on the uh, Ashes tour down under this winter. Um, but he'll have to regain his place. And, uh, you know, he, he's a good example, though. He comes back, gives it his all for Middlesex. Um, very popular um, and uh, very dedicated to the cause. Uh, he always has been. And um, I, I, I doubt that will change throughout his career, much like Gus himself as a, as a Middlesex man through and through, through his England days, although it was different than before central contracts. But... Gus, I think, when he took over Middlesex, they perhaps were a little bit too easy uh, to uh, to beat. And uh, I know that Richard Scott, the head coach, told me his remit from day one was very clear under Gus. Make Middlesex a more difficult team to beat. If they do lose, make sure we haven't lost easy. Make sure it hasn't been too easy for the opposition. Um, 
so yeah, his ethos has been quite clear, and he only wants a, a you know united, settled dressing room, which he perhaps didn't inherit in two thousand and nine. Um, so uh, everybody is certainly pulling in the right direction for Middlesex, and that's um, you know that that's uh, shown on the field. I think um, that there have been a good number of occasions as well, and um, you know in their ups and downs of the last two seasons, Middlesex have really drawn things back from difficult positions they may have let a few slip as well um, but uh, you know cr- quite crucially there's a lot of fight in the side now and the one thing um, that Middlesex uh, members and followers uh, you know can be <laughs> confident of and are confident of the club's in the right hands at the moment and it's in very very good shape and you're now talking about some small tweaks um, to uh, just try and push Middlesex on again Absolutely and um, well just Kind of continuing on from there, Radley's clearly a big fan of Gus Fraser. Mm. The wheels are going in the right direction. Um, Radley is currently the coach of the MCC University side and as a former England batsman is hugely respected by the players. Um, I went on to ask him how important it was for coaches and directors at the top level to have the respect in the dressing room. I'm of the opinion that it is quite important. You've got to be a very, very good coach if you haven't done it initially to get the respect of the players and that, I mean in another instance you can talk about Brealey again as getting the respect of his players he was a good player himself as a batsman but wasn't, he wasn't going to get the respect of us certainly in his test match captaincy as, because of his performances with the bat because he didn't get uh, he played 42 test matches and didn't get 100 as a batsman yeah. Uh, and I often remind him of that. <laughs> and he says, well, I was an all-rounder. I was, I was captain as well as, as a batsman. But, but no, but he certainly had the respect of everybody. So, uh, and yeah, if, you're, if you haven't been there, you've got to be that much better as a coach or, an, or a, a leader uh, to, to get the respect in the first place. And then it all comes down to that. Because well, there have been people who have, who have been... Um, managing directors or, or head coaches or whatever they call them these days or captains who, who, who weren't the greatest as players but it, they've got a, a bit of a, a hill to climb before if they haven't done it out in the middle I think it takes a little while you, you get your respect for, for like Stephen Stephen Moore would get respect because of him, uh, as a player um, and then, uh, then he certainly had respect as a captain as well but it, it doesn't just Go without a lot of hard work. Clive Radley there discussing respect and you know having done it at the top, which obviously Gus Fraser has done, and I think that's that's well. Clive was very you know he made the mm. point there that it's very important in his mind. It's very hard to gain that respect if you haven't. Yeah, look, Gus instantly commands respect. Um, it's also whenever you listen to him talking, um, you know he's a. He's got a clear mind on what, how he wants things to work, how he wants the county to work, how he wants the players um, to uh, operate, um, and the, and the coaches. You know the setups are all in place, um, and he, he's got a clear, I don't know, vision. Um, I, I think just a clear idea of the basics. Um, make sure that the basics are done properly. Don't overcomplicate things at times. Um, just focus on what's important. And he certainly draws from the experience himself of course of his own career um, but also you know he, he, he knows the right people to listen to I think Absolutely and um, I mean this season what kind of dealings have you had with Gus? 
yourself? I mean, do you speak to him much as commentator, or do you? Sort um, of... Yeah, I guess at the end of each match, we'll you know kind of bump into each other, and occasionally um, Gus will do the post-match interview as well um, to uh, reflect, uh, especially towards the end of perhaps the 2020 season, the YB40 season as well, uh, just reflect how things are, have been going, the break in the county championship. Um, so yeah, he's always, uh, you know, he's obviously having come from the media himself, um, yeah. having been a journalist for a number of years after after retiring, um, he, he's, he's no stranger to how the game works. Um, and uh, sometimes the demands that the media try to put on counties um, for access to players and access to stories and, uh, and the rest. But, you know, for him, uh, I think it's all water off a duck's back, really, because he's been there and seen it himself and uh, uh, knows exactly how the game works, both for cricket and for the media. Um, so, yeah, very, um, very easy to deal with and approachable and, and, and open as well. You know, I don't think um, there's a them and us attitude, which sometimes you can find. Um, and I don't think he'd he'd ever let that happen equally because you, you don't you know you just don't want in in any aspect of your working life you don't really want that kind of um, atmosphere around so there's no point in, in letting that ever create so uh, no it's uh, the access is is very good to the players they're all really honest and open about how they're performing how the team's performing um, and again I think you know that, that comes from Gus I, I don't think he ever hides behind anything um, if Middlesex haven't played well he'll say so uh, if he thinks criticism is a little bit too harsh he'll say so as well absolutely well that segues quite nicely into our next interview uh, we, we were given access to Tim Murta no problem with that he's once again been at the top of his game for the Panthers this season and he's the third highest wicket taker in the Division 1 as we speak just behind the Sussex duo um, I caught up with him in the pavilion after play this week and asked him a question about the team's mentality. We spoke to Neil Dexter at the beginning of the season and um, after a very good season at County Championship last year, he said he didn't quite have the belief then. Have you had the belief this time round? Yeah, I mean, we've won five games, which is, I think, uh, what we won last year. So uh, we've still got four games to go. We're still hanging in there. We had a you know reasonable day today, the first game against Somerset. So... Um, you know things things are moving along, but you know we want to be competing right to the end of the season, and um, that's our goal. And, and we'll see where we are in, in a month's time. We know Gus Fraser's a big fan of the county championship, and he'd love it dearly if you won that. Um, how's he been over the last few weeks around the squad? Yeah, he's been as grumpy as ever. <laughs> um, no, he's he's great to have around, and um, as I said, ever since him himself and Richard Scott have have come on board, it's. Um, things have, have moved forward from where we were, you know, four or five years ago. So we've got to keep keep improving, keep believing that, you know, one day we can, you know, lift that trophy and um, we'll give it a good crack for the rest of the summer. If not, we'll come back next year. Tim Murta there. Uh, a couple of interesting points, Kev, um, about the belief in the squad and then now believing that they can lift that trophy. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, you know, they started the season as... One of the favourites, um, a good start, a couple of wins um, in the first two matches, followed up by a third win not too long afterwards, and they were top of the table, and everybody said, well, Middlesex are the side to stop. Uh, then one a bit of a barren run, I think it was one win in six, maybe one win in seven even, in the county championship. Um, a draw they were lucky to uh, escape with at, at Durham. Equally, there was a match that they would have won, but for rain. Uh, that's always the way that things pan out. There was a little bit of a levelling off in performance. It didn't help the injuries to Harris and uh, Roland Jones in particular, but undoubtedly there's a belief. Um, because when they were promoted, bearing in mind this is just their second season up, Absolutely. when they were promoted, 
Middlesex have been in division for a, in, in Division Two for five, six seasons, and there was a lot of talk while Middlesex were in Division Two about the gap between Division One um, and Division Two, and so there was a, a little element of the unknown at the start of last season. Um, there is no doubt that the quality in depth is uh, there in Division One, which perhaps isn't there in Division Two. Um, perhaps the batting lineups aren't as strong overall, or the um, backup bowling, the change bowling. Isn't as uh, isn't as strong as the openers um, in Division One. That's not the case, really. The the, the teams are pretty complete. Um, the squads are quite deep, and I think that's where Yorkshire actually now as uh, leaders and favourites, um, having seen all the counties play, they uh, are certainly the team that, in my mind, as a you know a, a comparison between two teams, they're the team that Middlesex have to stop. Durham are pushing, going to push them hard. Uh, with games in hand as well and Durham do look very good as well but in terms of the depth in the batting and the depth in the bowling of players that were missing out on the match uh, when Yorkshire played at Lords there were players away on international duty a good number away for Yorkshire but there were also a good number of players who couldn't get into that side even with the absentees um, so Yorkshire are very good in that sense um, and, and do really have a lot of competition for places but Middlesex, when they have their first eleven on the side, uh, on the on the field, um, and that's probably discounting Stephen Finn um, and certainly Owen Morgan. Um, you know, they'll look at their side on paper and know that that's as good as anything else around. But they'll know they just have been a little bit light on runs this year, um, and that's something that um, again they'll have to resolve. Um, even if they do lift the county championship, they'll know that it wasn't that middle order. That if there was a weak point this season, it, it was the middle order. Um, so, in ter- well, I say a weak point. If there was a lack, of, if there was an area that was just lacking, it was the lack of runs in that middle order. So, uh, yeah, but the beliefs there undoubtedly um, for middle sets that they can do it. And um, I don't know. It's probably unfair to say that suggest even for a moment that there was potentially a little bit of overconfidence after the start of the season. I don't think there was. Yeah. Um, but if something for me summed up their YB40 and 2020 seasons, uh, they both they they had some they had good they had good teams in those competitions um, and some outstanding performances. But perhaps coming out of those two competitions, my reflection is there was just a little bit too much left on the field by too many Middlesex players, and it's a little bit of a cliche to use, but I think it really does reflect that there weren't enough big performances consistently in those two competitions for Middlesex to really challenge for either of those two titles. There are more big performances in the county championship from them, but it's still going to take a good number more for them, uh, I think, to, uh, to push on consistently to be title contenders. History and cricket with the Lords podcast. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the last time that Middlesex won the county championship was in 1993. Mike Gatting, who will be the next president of MCC this October, was the captain back then. I caught up with him in the committee dining room to chat about the summer of 93. Here he recalls a game against Glamorgan where John Embry hit a century and Phil Tufnell took 8 for 29, including a very special wicket. One of the matches that um, we, we played him was an extraordinary match down at Cardiff. Um, where Viv Richards got 200, Adrian Dale got 200, and uh, Embers went in as night watchman um, and got in, and they couldn't get him out. So myself and Embers batted, I think, for, for quite some period of time, and um, everybody sort of got runs uh, uh, that day, and uh, it got into the sort of um, fourth morning, 
Physical Morgan batted for the best part of two days, and uh, or certainly one and three quarters, and and we had a bit of time to, to get through in the first evening where we lost an early wicket or two. And uh, Emma's and myself found ourselves together, and we managed to get through most of the day. Uh, and that got us through sort of to day three. There was a question of what do we declare? And they weren't keen really on, on setting us a big target. I know Matthew Maynard was captain, he wasn't, wasn't uh, so I, I kept on batting and I got booed by the crowd and, and all sorts of things. Anyway, um, we got past them by about 28, I think, in the end. And it must have been, oh, I don't know, half an hour, an hour before lunch. And uh, we thought we'd have a, have a go at them. And uh, it wasn't Fraser or, or one of our other opening bowls, Williams or Cowans. It was, it was actually Philip Tufnell. Philip Tufnell came on very early. And he ended up, I think, getting 8 for 29. And in that 8 for 29, he got the great Viv Richards out for naught and I remember it very clearly <laughs> uh, because um, we'd got three wickets and you know we were really over the moon and um, <clears throat> and sort of uh, after lunch um, we got another one and, and, and Viv, Viv sort of came out to the wicket and uh, uh, he strut out to the wicket and you know we were sort of busily changing fields and we, you know there were three for very few about nine or two for nine or something and Viv came out and and uh, we set the field, and I, you know, I sort of set the field, and Cat said, "No, no, don't." And then, and Viv started getting a bit patient at the crease, and sort of looking around, you know. And um, anyway, Cat ran and bowled this ball, and it just jumped and bounced a bit of Viv first ball, went off his glove straight to John Carr at short leg, who caught it. And wow, Cat, you've never seen such celebrations. And uh, he sort of ran back, charging past Viv, you know, and really giving it a thing. And Anyway, Viv got a little bit upset by that and he actually came in the dressing room at the end of the day and, and the boys were winding him up a bit because Viv's coming to see you, cat, you know, but he's going to come. And he was panicking like crazy, but uh, it was actually a phenomenal win because, um, you know, we, we won quite comfortably in the end and Haynes and Rosebery knocked the runs off that we needed and I think we only needed to get 70 or so and it was just a, on, a, on a particularly good wicket, but uh, it was one of those amazing games of cricket where two people got two hundreds, double hundreds, they both got double hundreds, and we managed to win the match somehow. Uh, it was just a great performance by Philip, 8 for 29 on that, uh, on that final day. Mike Gatting there remembering a game during that county championship winning side in 1993. Well, it's quite a story, isn't it? And it, it really makes you, you know, that's the kind of stories we love about cricket, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's got great memory, Cat. <laughs> I might add, he did have a few notes there. But... Oh, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I can barely remember the games. They merge into one after a couple of weeks at the start of the championship season, let alone going back a couple of seasons. Um, but, yeah, that was a phenomenal side. And, um, and you know, it was a, a golden era, really, wasn't it? The 80s and then up to 93. Um, four middle sex. Uh, since then, it has been uh, a long a long wait really for the for the county championship uh, and for a side that are going to consistently challenge um, at, at the top um, but that, that side is a side that is often harked back to as the side at the start of the 80s when they fielded 11 internationals yeah um, uh, I think they had 12 in fact on the books <laughs> and, uh, you know could only play 11 of them obviously but um, you know the, the names jump off the sheet don't they Haynes uh, Ramprakash Gatting Embry Tufnell Fraser Cowns their names that will live um, for a long, long time. Well, they'll live forever in the history of this county. Um, some uh, real legends, and that, that's a word that's often overused, but some real legends um, for, for Middlesex. And, and, of course, for England as well. Gatting, Embry, Tufnell, Fraser. 
um, you know, the, 90, the early 1990s and mid-1990s weren't a great time really for England, were they, in terms of selection and um, certainly Rambrakash. Uh, but also I think Tuffnell and Fraser suffered from that as well, where uh, had they have been in this current England, under this current England selection um, policy, where uh, quite rightly... Um, you're backed uh, time yeah. and time again. Then you know, goodness knows what those those three could have gone on to achieve. As it is, Tuffman and Fraser walk away with fantastic uh, Test records, and as does um, Mark Rambrakash as well. Not to be sniffed out. I think with Rambrakash, it was just the thought that could he have done even better yeah. if he was given the support, which he clearly wasn't. Um, but uh, yeah, a, f- a phenomenal, phenomenal team uh, for for Middlesex, and um, no surprise at all that they they lifted the championship that year. And that era of county cricket, people like Viv Richards was at Glamorgan then, Des Haynes at Middlesex, Wakai Yunus was playing. I mean, phenomenal um, for the for county circuit to have those kind of overseas players all going hammer and tong. Yeah, and obviously we don't see that anymore really because of the yeah. international calendar. Um, and if you want to look at one player at Middlesex that gives you a really good example of why we don't see that, it's Owen Morgan. Yeah. He's a Middlesex player, but Middlesex um, struggled to get him on onto the field. Not through any force of Morgans, but the um, the international calendar is a big problem now. The ICC, um, I, I don't know if they can um, uh, rectify it at all. I don't know how they would. The Champions League, of course, is at the end of the English summer, uh, and the English teams, English counties, can't partake in that because of uh, the lateness with which the season finishes, and um, the Champions League generally starting in uh, mid mid September. Um, but early in the season, the IPL. Um, denies counties players potentially some counties refuse to allow their players to go to it Middlesex Angus Fraser's quite clearly said on the record who am I to stop these guys earning that kind of money um, mm-hmm. it would be foolish to do so because you'd have a disgruntled player in your dressing room um, so you, you know and then once Morgan's back from IPL duty then there's uh, numerous one day uh, series to play for England, um, be it in this country, uh, as it was this summer with the Champions Trophy and uh, the New Zealand, a uh, couple of New Zealand T20s, a tri-series, uh, no, sorry, it wasn't a tri-series, three um, ODI series before the Champions Trophy and now against the Australians at the end of the summer as well. So, um, yeah, that that is just a, a way of uh, illustrating really how difficult it is for counties with overseas players. And if you've got that, that amount of problems with your own, uh, players to try and um, find time to get them onto the park for your for your county. So that that is um, a shame, really, that you don't see the top test players playing throughout the county championship summer. But that is the way of the game now. Um, if we're lucky, I suppose there's um, always the rumour at the start of each summer, oh, someone's going to sign Chris Gale this summer, and uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 you know that's. Uh, that's where Middlesex were linked to him at one point as well, but that was, I think, a little bit of a mischievous rumour and speculation more than anything. Um, but that really is the only chance that you get to really see the, the the world stars regularly turning out for counties now is in 2020. Again, that'll be interesting to see how that works when 2020 is spread across the entire season. Um, whether you can recruit in an overseas uh, specialist for the 2020 when perhaps he's only playing one game a week spread over, uh, well, obviously the entire season, but if you had one in for the first half of the summer, he's still only playing one game a week. Um, so, yeah, how that goes, we'll have to wait and see. But that is certainly a shame. Um, the county championship doesn't have that the, those overseas pros in terms of the very best overseas player, the players that you could get. Talking about Chris Gale, he's certainly one player that could hit the ball out of the park here. And um, 
I'd like to talk about a rather special moment earlier this month when a fan returned to Lords with a ball that had been hit out of the ground. The incident happened during a T20 match in which Paul Sterling smashed Surrey's Chris Tremblay over the mound stand for six, then watched the ball sail onto St Johnswood Road. Francis Mossman, who had been at the match, picked it up and kept it as a memento. I met her a couple of weeks after the incident and asked her exactly what had happened. I'd been to the match and um, I'd had to leave because I've um, got a problem with my knee and I thought I'd better get going because uh, getting home. So I was walking round from um, the uh, Compton stand to uh, get a taxi and uh, suddenly this ball landed, well no, actually, I was fed off about leaving and then I heard this huge roar coming from the ground and that made me even crosser. And um, then the ball, I realised somebody had hit a six, but what I didn't expect was it to land right in front of me, on the, on the other side of the road, actually. And um, a taxi driver pulled up with a full cab, and as I was picking it up, I looked up and I saw them smiling, and they all in unison said, that's a six, madam. <laughs> and I said, you're right. <laughs> and I took it home and, and told my son, who has friends here uh, or connections here and then that's how you found out really that I'd got the ball. <laughs> Lovely and how close was it to actually hitting you? Um, about two feet. Wow. It, uh, two three feet. It just came down and bounced. Uh, it hit the ground with a crack and then uh, bounced in front of me. On the, I was on the pavement and I think the taxi had seen it so they pulled in to see if I was all right because it was quite close. Um, but I was fine, you know, I was thrilled actually to get it. So it was a sort of compensation for having to leave the match early, you know, it was great. And it's in quite good nick. I mean, you brought yes. it in today. Yes. If you could just get it out and yes. then we can have a little look at it. Yes. It really is, well, it's in quite fine fettle considering yeah. it went on top of the mound standing out. <laughs> yes, it is. It's amazing. And uh, it literally, it did come down from quite a height because it came down sort of vertically. So I didn't, I didn't see it till it landed. But clearly the taxi driver had seen it um, coming down. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was thrilling, actually. A lovely story there. Uh, Kev, it was a terrible night for the Panthers. We won't dwell on that, but that was a special moment. Uh, can you remember it going out the ground? Well, yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, Sterling sends that ball to all parts. He's an extraordinary hitter of the ball. And um, Angus Fraser said that in terms of... Um, what he's witnessed in his history of the game people who are able to hit the ball that cleanly are um, few and far between and actually he put him on the, we've mentioned two, these two people already he put him in the same bracket as uh, Chris Gale and Sir Bib Richards in terms of the ability to hit the ball as cleanly as that and Tim Mercer also uh, a few weeks later a, a similar comparison he said of current players there's only Kevin Peterson and Chris Gale who can strike the ball as cleanly even when you're in the nets with them you just hear the sound off the middle of the bat consistently struck cleanly uh, amazing hand-eye coordination from uh, Sterling and a very exciting player you know rising to uh, eighth on the list of ODI players this summer um, in world cricket uh, in the ICC's rankings um, but yeah he's he's got a phenomenal uh, ability to strike the ball so no great surprise I have seen it done once before uh, when Ali Brown was playing here in the bowling from the pavilion end likewise he clipped it a full delivery clipped it off of his legs and it thumped onto the top of the mound stand and uh, landed um, on the windscreen of a, of a car parked outside. Uh, and the, the picture was taken uh, by Claire Skinner, the then MCC manager, who um, quickly delivered the picture up to the commentary box. Mark Church was commentating with me. <laughs> yeah, we were amazed at the mess that was made of this windscreen. But as a, 
Uh, as Francis said there, you know, that ball's coming down from some height once it's cleared that uh, mound stands. So fortunately for her, it was a, <laughs> I know, a, yeah. couple of, a couple of feet away from her um, because, uh, yeah, obviously, every time we've seen a, gr- a ball go out of the ground here at Laws, you just think, goodness, I hope that's landed safely somewhere. Um, but the big hitting, we talked about the players that you can see on show, Corin Pollard. Um, I remember him hitting Tim Murta, pulled Tim Murta onto the roof of the grandstand uh, a few years back and playing for Somerset in the 2020. And um, I think it was the same match, I'm sure it was actually. Pollard uh, cleared the roof of the pavilion. Um, did he? He did. So he hit the chimney, he hit a, had already exhaust at the back of the pavilion. Um, where the mark was uh, clearly left and it only trot of course um, well, I was going to say I thought the only man to clear it is Albert, Albert trot. trot yeah uh, he cleared it cleanly ah that's um, it but the, the, the <laughs> now, there are a few stories about this one um, and uh, this is even in a wee- recent history imagine in a couple of years <laughs> a couple of decades time how this story will go but um, but yeah there's a couple of chimney vents on the back of the pavilion and apparently it struck one of those so in that sense, didn't clear the pavilion itself, but it did clear the roof. Right. Um, and apparently the dent is quite clear where that ball struck. The red mark is uh, quite clear on one of those vents or chimneys, whatever they are on the back, um, that the ball struck uh, that evening. But yeah, massive, massive shot from Pollard. We couldn't see it because it was a floodlit game. Yeah. Uh, once it had gone up to a certain height, we just didn't know. But certainly on the uh, top tier of the pavilion, they weren't clearing out of the way. There was one that was dumped up there as well, close to clearing it as well. Uh, I don't think it was that game, but around that time as well. I remember them all ducking for cover right at the back of the pavilion. But that one certainly, uh, yeah, up onto the roof. Um, but still, Trot, I think, holds the record of the man who's actually cleared the pavilion. But the slight um, twist in it all, that those events or chimneys, there's some debate as to whether they actually existed when Trot hit the uh, uh, hit the ball over the roof. So in that sense, um, Pollard perhaps was unlucky because he they weren't there as an obstruction. He didn't quite do <laughs> the, it, yeah. In the 1900s, in the That's, 1800s. Absolutely. And the other thing about Albert Trott's one, which is interesting, is I'm pretty sure that his was a four because for it to be a six, it had to technically go out the ground back then. <laughs> and Malabone Creek Club, of course, owns the ground just behind the pavilion. Yeah. So although Kieran Pollard's might not quite have cleared the pavilion, mm. he, at least he got six runs for his effort. It, it, well, absolutely. He deserved, five, he deserved <laughs> many more for it, although uh, Sean Needle probably won't enjoy us retelling that story too many times. Um, it was an extraordinary uh, display of hitting and uh, Chris Gale played here actually for the West Indies a couple of years back against Middlesex in a tour match and I remember Tim Murta, um had a horrible time but against Gale he didn't manage too many on the day but he did get a few lusty blows off before he was out uh, on that occasion and yeah it's extraordinary hitting and Sir- Sterling is certainly uh, in that rank unfortunately for him this year it didn't happen in the T20 overall in terms of uh, uh, an individual performance or helping Middlesex on their way and perhaps actually in hindsight when you see how close Middlesex went uh, had Sterling have come off this summer then Middlesex perhaps would have been on their way to uh, the quarterfinals and maybe finals day Perfect well it's not the last time this season that coloured kits and big hitting will be on display at Lords I'm of course referring to the Yorkshire Bank 40 overs final on Saturday the 21st of September uh, the four semi-finalists are Hampshire and Glamorgan in one semi and Notts and Somerset in the other Kev, where's your money? Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's tough to say because, uh, you know, these competitions, uh, things can vary so greatly. But Hampshire um, have got all the com- components. As of Somerset, they've had it for a good number of years, but they've had their struggles this year as well. Somerset, certainly the county championship. And um, uh, I think that's perhaps reflected through as well. You, you look at their lineup, it's not quite as deep 
as it once was, that, that batting. It doesn't go down as far as it does. It just never seemed through them at one stage. Um, and yeah, it was formidable. It still is. Um, so uh, undoubtedly, uh, they're, 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 they're one of the teams to fear. But I think Hampshire, um, as a, as a one-day unit, have certainly got something about them. Well, they won it last year, of course. So Hampshire v Somerset, there you go. You've said it. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> well, it's always a superb day and it's a great finish to the county calendar. So if you want to be here, it's really very simple. Just go to tickets.lords.org. Well, many thanks for tuning in. That's pretty much it. Um, I hope you've had a good time, Kev. Indeed. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we'll be back next month and there'll be more cricketing stories from Lords, of course. So remember to follow us on Twitter. We're at Home of Cricket. Be our friend on Facebook. And for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon.